all CEOs, me included, we don't actually know what we're doing. They're all sharks, so all you got to do, though, is no shark bait. I don't think we've ever talked about this before. <laughs> we can capture all of the wallet share. First place you start is with the product. That's just the first nut. This is the Capital Stack. Hey, everybody, this is David Paul, the host of the Capital Stack podcast, where I talk to founders, operators, and investors about all things value creation and startups. Today, I'm going to talk to the operator, one of the operators that I know, that I learn from, that I trust, that I've worked with, and that I have high regard for. Um, this particular operator is functioned in the sales capacity. He has run billions of dollars worth of ARR annual recurring revenue for multiple high margin SaaS businesses and, and technology businesses, all the way from computer associates to open text to micro focus. Um, and we're going to talk about just sales bullshit. We're going to talk about company bullshit that's happened over the last couple of years and what it was like, because John Hunter, who is on my guest today, is going to tell you about like what companies building's been like over over decades and what founders can think, what founders can expect from an economy that's actually normal. John, how you doing? I'm doing great. Great to be here. It's great to be yeah. here too. Um, so right now you're not working. You're doing some coaching, some content creation, yep. some some eat, pray, love, yeah. soul searching, yeah. which is awesome. Yeah. And you have an opportunity, a very unique opportunity right now to sit back and watch. Mm -hmm. And so tell me, what have you observed? Well, um, one thing I observed is when I started doing my podcast and connecting with you and, and just learning to put out there some knowledge and that, and not knowing in your head, if anyone's going to give a shit about it, you know, so it was neat. I know that's one that we, we reconnected, we worked together in all bound and other places, but, um, you know, part of your journey is all my journey. And I think everyone's is always about finding that balance to give back, to help, to look into your brain and say, of all these years doing all this stuff, does any of, is any of it relevant to anyone else? And maybe my experiences were different than everyone else's and doesn't mean anything. And then through that particular platform, um, you know, people call me up. That's where a lot, that's where the coaching came from. A lot of people call me up saying, Hey, listen to your podcast. I wasn't interviewing people. I was just like, look, here's my point of view. Here's my point of view of building an operating plan. Here's my point of view on people. Here's my point of view of view of, of why you have really unwanted attrition and some things aren't scaling. Scaling, for example, could be weeks on end um, where people will use it as a metaphor. But then if you ever run 10 people, 30 people, 300 people, the principles of scale really apply to all of them. You just got to be intellectually deep on knowing when to go to what level of scaling. So the podcast was a great area to just go kind of stress test. Um, you know, does anyone find this useful? Do I know what I'm talking about? And does it apply to zero to 50, 50 to hundred, 250 to a billion and, and billion to a plus. And, and that's just been uh, a lot of fun. The most recent conversation I'm having also with our good friend, Bill Bench uh, yesterday Love you, Bill. Yeah, great dude. You know, I mean, the, you know, always listen to his podcast, listen to his his um, battery, you know, messaging. You know, and think about Bill, right? He was in Oracle. He's done big. He's done small. He's done zero. He's blown things up. He's been, you know, crowned, um, you know, Sierra of the century. 
Um, but we share a lot of intellectually in common about, you know, common sense. And I think one thing, you know, looking at this, um, just looking at mathematics in the last two years, you know, being, have, running a business in Europe and having 80 people there and realizing that, you know, 80% of your revenues in North America and you have 7 million <laughs> in Europe. I mean, well, well, why do you need a CFO or a board member or anyone else to come to you and say, does this look right? Or, or, or APJ in Japan was another example where, you know, there's very small revenue there, but you can get seduced into this, um, into this, this, this concept of just putting people and expense um, and I think part of it was become this this phenomenon of this revenue was coming in to certain companies around the world in a way that no one when COVID first started, um, you know, we were like, holy shit, the end of the world's coming. Let's do Black Swan reviews. This is what we did at Microsoft, uh, Microfocus. You know, we went and did really deep dive um, analysis of 2008 and other examples of, hey, let's. Do we want to freeze everything? Do we not want to freeze everything? On a C-suite level? Yeah, I created it, you know, with my boss, Stephen, CEO. We had five, six people globally, different functions. So we could, hey, let's, what are we hearing? What are we seeing? What are customers saying? You know, what are other vendors going through? So we would create this function that would meet and we would, not all the time, but maybe once every week or so, every couple of weeks. And we would just take the data from the past and then blend it with what we're seeing right now. So we didn't overreact, we didn't underreact. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden we saw, you know, wait a minute, we just moved, you know, I probably moved 3,200 plus people to Microsoft Teams. So our first analysis was, you know what, this video technology has really stunk over the last 10 years. This isn't gonna work, we need to be thoughtful. And then we're like, holy shit. The video technology works. And, and guess what? We were getting to the CIO of FedEx um, through Zoom or, or Teams in, in a more effective way than John Hunter flying to Tennessee because he's probably introverted and he probably doesn't want to meet me anyways. <laughs> and, you know, there's all this revenue at stake. And so we had this really kind of weird, um, you know, uh, discovery that, hey, you know, business is going to go just fine. And then who knows, you know, whether it be the, the, the bills that pass Congress or, you know, some more of that. But, you know, in the back of your mind, you're still sitting at it going, you know what? This doesn't seem right. This doesn't seem sustainable. And so, of course, we, we didn't put the um, fuel back in the fire, but we were very cautious. And I think some companies have been very cautious about some of that uh, lack of decline in revenue or maybe a burst of revenue that they almost didn't see coming. Like, oh, shit, this is great. You know, some people built plans on that and some people didn't. And they took it as maybe a one time thing. And that's been part of the phenomenon watching some of the layoffs happen and some of the other uh, uh, some people high five in during those times. Hey, I'm a kick ass salesperson. And you're like, well, wait a minute. You're working from home. You're eating jelly beans. You know, you're working three hours a day in your company, you know, but you but you can you, you had some kind of success as opposed to um, what we were brought up into is a little more hardcore, longer term thinking um, culture of, of winning and, and losing and really knowing where you stood. And so I think those people, and they could be any age, um, those people are, gonna, are doing really well right now. I mean, they're, they're shining through. These are the people that work harder on their customer relationships, never took the, the, the easy money. Maybe they took it, but they certainly didn't build their, their outlook on it. You know, they always kind of had a, I got to work outwork people. I'm going to come in early. I'm going to stay late. And um, I'm not going to take my customers for granted. I'm a, 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 a customer that's in-house is more valuable than anything else. Delight them, delight them, delight them. And, you know, I'm seeing a lot of those leaders and those, and those salespeople um, doing well. And the people that skip steps, and this is a consistent theme since, two, since 1994, if you're going to skip a step, 
If you're going to look for a shortcut, if you want to get skinny quick on a pill and not do burpees and drink water and broccoli, you're going to fucking fail. And that is the sales um, message that guys like Bill and myself and others uh, at any size company, by the way, you know, you can splurt up to a hundred million and have bad hygiene. You can have dirty deals. Dirty deals. How'd we get it? Don't know. Can you do it again? Don't know. <laughs> yeah. But How much liability is in that contract? Let's put it, yeah, and right. let's put it into the operating plan. Then we'll do seven more of those mm-hmm. next year. And right. that's what happens, right? And mm-hmm. then and then when you don't do it, you start freezing and frosting things and revenue. And so it's certainly, you know, I've had to be profitable my whole life, even growing 20 plus percent. So I d- I've always had that um, that gene in me. You know, Charles Wong started Computer Associates out of Long Island, New York. Not a lot of people can remember all, all the way back then, but he was a founder. It was out of his garage, just had a lot of revenue rather quickly. But the fundamentals was eat what you kill. You know, you close something, do it right. Make a lot of money. If you don't, you make shit and don't spend a lot of time internally. Get in front of your customers. And he used to say donuts in the data center at 6 a.m. Go mm-hmm. outwork everybody. Keep your eyes on the prize, which is the customer. And while there's a lot more technology today and modern ways of, of influencing that comment, I think the hard work fundamentals and long-term thinking on your company's operating plan um, just got really screwed up in the last couple of years. Yeah. It, you know, it just, when you were talking, it made me think of a couple of things. Um, it kind of brought me back to a book, The Psychology of Money. I think it's just the psychology of general is that, everything just has just such rapid swings in this business, right? <laughs> like the pendulum goes yeah. so far and so fast. Yeah. And I don't know if that's just the money cycle or if that's just in a, the emotional cycle or just what it's like to live on trends where you burn capital, you know what I mean? No, you know, on the earlier stage. But, you know, one thing that I have tried to incorporate, and this is, this is hard because I'm, like manic depressive, right? Like I'm like mania, I'm, I have mania all the time. And, you know, don't go into my head unless you have a gun and a flashlight. <laughs> right. But nothing is as good or as bad as it seems. That's right. Right. Yeah. And like, and having a, a, a stoicism just yeah. about that yeah. has served me better than reacting. Well, I think that principle allows for long-term thinking with having a short-term sense of urgency and purpose. Mm-hmm. And it's a weird blend. So we were, you know, we have, we had uh, posters on our walls growing up and said, you know, act with an outrageous sense of urgency. It was on every wall that I've ever managed. Mm-hmm. So you wake up and it wasn't because I wanted to fire you. It was because I wanted the culture to know that we are in the technology industry and things are moving fast at the same time, which is why I think a lot of folks struggle in tech you have to have the framework for long-term thinking. So it's a blend of, wait a minute, let me get this right. It's never as good, as bad as it seems. So even keel, mm-hmm. sound operating principles. I'm going to develop my leaders. I'm going to put leadership development funds in place. I'm going to think through how Mary is going to be great as, a, you know, as an account manager and a director. And we're going to groom her all the way through. I mean, a lot of the leadership development investment, David, has gone out the window. Because, you know, the C-suite sitting there going, I don't think we're going to be here in 18 months. I'm going to sell the company. I'm going to be public. I'm going to be on a beach somewhere because my value, you know, they're studying their, 
their 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 portfolio is going to be worth 170 million, <laughs> right. and they're going fuck this. They're looking at their carta, and you know, <laughs> and it happens in right. large scale um, value companies. They're just like, hey, we'll buy the next company, therefore we won't we won't build the fundamentals on broccoli and water and blah blah blah. You know, I'm going to build it on something shorter term. Um, and so I think you know this fundamentals of knowing that we got to move. We got to move today. And this is why I, I like tech. And remember, I, I told you, you know, I graduated from ASU. I go to master in computers. Um, I couldn't sit still. I get this interview at Computer Associates for this woman who tried to shove me out the door. And, uh, you know, she said there are all these dudes sitting in the lobby, like 50 years old. And I said, I, those guys have been doing the same thing wrong for 30 years. You got to let me come back. Mm-hmm. And I studied Charles Wong and it was about eat what you kill. That was the name of my presentation. And, um, what I, what I found love of love affair for was I never could see I hated the idea at 24 years old, sitting at like Xerox in a corner, you know, being an accountant, somehow doing something stagnant. Mm-hmm. And one thing you get in this industry, if you're built for it, if you can think strategically for the long haul and have a sense of urgency and purpose and grind and grit to go out there and make something happen, if you can combine those two fundamental principles, this is a great industry to be in. It can be really frustrating if you're not mm-hmm. because, you know, you're, you know, you're too intellectual mm-hmm. potentially. You're thinking strategically all the time and you, and you get acquired or you, something bad happens or you're so tactical. You got to balance the execution too. Correct. Right? That's right. I Scaling mean, like, is, is an example of that where you'll see founders, uh, especially a lot of them right now. When does the founder get replaced? Mm-hmm. When does, um, you know, this idea of delegating at any level, yeah. just not sound criminal. When do you stop promoting from within and bringing out sure. people? And how do you? Right. And here's a fun, fun, phenomenon in that, you know, you're going to hear something from an outside hire that you've never heard before. Mm-hmm. And in my interpretation, that's always been, you know, it's been like Columbus coming back from the new world, going to his neighbors and saying, hey, there's a new world out there. And the mm-hmm. neighbors are going, you're a fucking nutcase. Mm-hmm. What do you mean the world's not flat? Right. So you have to bring it data. You got to bring examples. You got to bring a customer in. You know, that's soft skills. That's change management. Yeah. It's absolutely change. You know, psychology 101. Um, you know, I speak at ASU and um, they asked me to the, to the kids there, what do you use from school the most? I said, statistics and psychology, mm-hmm. summary level data and how, you know, and influencing people. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you can't get your head around how to bring people with you, going from a 50 to 100 or 100 to 250 when you're going to roll out a new comp plan or we're going to segment the company mm-hmm. segmenting to me seems pretty logical. I can't tell you how many people you're going to do what, <laughs> you know, and what and that person's going to quit or that person's not going to like it. Or you're going to take revenue. You know, so, so you got to get people to believe and buy into change. Mm-hmm. And I think change management uh, at all levels is top, top tier of what we just miss because we don't know how to prepare for the strategic conversation of going to the next level. And embracing that new person's ideas that maybe you've never done before. Yeah, because if you keep doing what you're doing, I mean, I feel like it, it, it's there's something around the fundraising cycle that makes sense because generally you need the new slug of capital, you know, in order to hire like the, the next layer. And things just usually start breaking five million, 15 million, yeah. <laughs> 50 million. It's like there's like there's a new layer of like expertise that has to be yeah. there. Right. Well, I got a good example company. I won't name it because I have some people here in Phoenix, but they're calling me for board work and um, they, they touch the stove on, well, we want the salespeople to follow the sale all the way through to adoption. And the CRO is like, Hey, look guys, um, that's not how salespeople really think. If they don't understand where, how they contribute, they check out and, mm-hmm. and they're like, yeah, but these sales guys shouldn't be getting paid until 
fully adopted. So they changed the comp plan and they all quit. Mm-hmm. So um, the balancing act there is, you know, hey, I told you so. You know, sometimes they have to touch the stove in this right. case. Of course. Yeah. But then they're going through a they're going through a reset now, trying to rethink. And now they're more open minded on taking advice from advisors, board members, or even new operators. Yeah. That's the most challenging thing for being a VC is being yeah. able that you you really are a guide, not, yeah. you know, I mean, it's, and it's frustrating. I want to talk to you about leadership development a little bit because you have yeah. a lot of experience in that, in that arena. From a CEO who's a founder and, you know, probably a very high performing and, you know, individual contributor in, in some domain of sales, product, marketing, yeah. technology, and bringing in people, learning about the dynamics of people. How does one think about leadership development? And like, how would you advise somebody? Like, what are like steps one, two, and three on educating themselves on how to develop as a leader? Well, first of all, uh, remember the brands I've been associated with, uh, if you go back to the day in Computer Associates, it was a tough brand. Like you didn't go there for easy. You didn't go there for RSUs. You didn't go there for free jelly beans and for massages and for yoga mats. You went there because the leader you were going to work for one or two levels somehow connected with you and was going to somehow um, in your mind, you know, make you better. Mm-hmm. And that's why I was there. I was there for some very lean years. I just remember um, um, in the early days, and this is without formal, you don't need to have formal development practices. I just remember going to my dad. I got, a, I got an offer to go to a, a 1999 start, you know, um, startup. And I told my dad, I said, dad, you know, it's more money than God. This is crazy. And he said, well, I never heard you think about money. So what would now be a Myers-Briggs or DISC, you know, kind of assessment, all I had was my old man telling me, why don't you go think about what you really like about your job? And I said, well, I was empowered. Mm-hmm. I've really felt what I was offering customers could make a difference. Uh, I was running my shop my way. And money was down there, like number six. Like I was paid competitively. Mm-hmm. So, um, but what I learned, what you know, the fun, I was learning and getting developed by not necessarily just my boss. I had peers. I had older salespeople. I had other functional leaders that I was able to to draft next to. And so I think it's supposed to be an early stage. I don't think we need to think about leadership development. I mean, CA could have been big in those days, but it was really super small. We had we had no money or people to call HR. Right. I mean, HR was like it was like eight people mm-hmm. in the whole company. You know right. what I mean? They were just not valued at that time. They mm-hmm. were later. But you know, so the early days could be look, how how can I make my people better? Mm-hmm. Can I give them a book to read? Can I give them some time? I mean, I just think that at early stage, there's a view if I hire an SAP or et cetera, Microsoft people that it comes with tons of complexity and cost. And, 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 I, and I didn't have that. Mm-hmm. But my experience was I can get value. I can learn if these people will take the time to spend with me to just give me their lessons learned. And I think a lot of times um, they get so busy in their operational job, or maybe they have imposter syndrome, like this person won't find any value, um, or they read a book together. Um, but the two, the two threads from my people that never, I had a very low turnover rate through all these tough times, was um, my people knew they were getting better and they were paid for performance. Mm-hmm. And if you could keep those two threads alive, um, it really, it really negated getting on LinkedIn and some going, oh, you know, it's, it's, it's better over there because of a little bit more money. Mm-hmm. Um, and my, so I just think, you know, you know, knowing your people is another thing too. It's, it's shocking to me 
when people tell me about what they're what's important to them, I'll ask them to show me their calendar. Mm-hmm. Especially as you start scaling up. Like, hey, we really take our people, you know, policy seriously. Great. Show me the budget. I've yeah. used that one. Show me that you spend money on it. Yeah. You get bigger. Or show me your calendar. Show me any one-on-ones you're doing. You're correct. Yeah. And show me that your calendar is really disciplined. Some people don't like to see it. Well, this is corporate. No, it's not corporate. It's integrity. It's saying, um, so if you looked at my calendar, it would be a year in advance. And I would just skip levels at a particular clip. I would, you know, I have my top third in a, a cohort. Mm-hmm. And I would go get this guy, Chris Doris in town. He's a mental toughness coach assigned to them. I would be religiously tied to them. Not every day, not haphazardly, but in my time needed to be set aside to them because I needed my top third to know me mm-hmm. at any size. Mm-hmm. It could be 10 people. You remember I was a rep. I, w- I was basically a BDR, SDR. I was a rep. They sent me, I, they put me in financials, big renewals. I screwed it up so badly in six months they sent me off to Oklahoma where I was the new logo guy and just mm-hmm. got the shit kicked out of me. Mm-hmm. But I learned that new logo motion. I learned rejection. I learned about customer behavior and patterns. And then teaching that and looking for people who value that became part of the, uh, you know, the, the beauty of uh, building a culture and knowing that those top third just need to hear you. You need to know their names. You need to know their stories. You can't fake it. Mm-hmm. Um, it gets harder when you start scaling up because all of a sudden you're like, shit, you know, what was Mary's last name or what was Mary's son's name? So the sales trips, the club trips, your calendar, they all have to be really thoughtful. You're going to have to want to want to help them. You're going to want to want to help them. They want to know that you care. Safety is a word we talk about in, in, in culture and trust. So trust and safety means I can tell you, David, you're not doing good enough. You do better than that. Mm-hmm. You don't have tr- safety and trust. It's John Hunter's coming after me. Mm-hmm. He's going to put me in red. He's going to be like at Salesforce last week. He's going to fire me. Um, and, and that trust is broken. Mm-hmm. And, and so what we teach those frontline, second line leaders is the integrity of your communication, promising less, over delivering, remembering the little things about them and their life. When you do one-on-ones, you don't have to bring the data into that all the time. Mm-hmm. Just say, hey, talk about your, your spouse. Let's talk about what's going on in your life. What do you want, where do you want to go? Mm-hmm. Career, you know, career um, journey can be one where I think the managers feel like I need to tell you that you're going to be promoted in six months. Yeah. And yeah. that's not it. Yeah. Carrot dangle, right? Yeah. Carrot dangle. Don't quit me. Don't leave me. I'll make you a people seeing this. God, I see that all the time. You're seeing it all no over the place. No one talks about that, though. Yeah. It's terrible. Why? Like, why does nobody talk about that? Well, I think it goes back to this 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 weird vortex we just were coming out of. Right. I mean, if you're in this vortex and if you started your integrity on your hiring and your culture around, hey, come work for John Hunter because I'll give you free jelly beans, massages, low quotas, tons of RSUs, and you don't have to fucking work hard. Right. Which is that's what the advertisement was for not everybody, but for, for a lot. Right. And all of a sudden <clears throat> that starts breaking down because all of a sudden they're going, well, wait a minute. If you're going to give that person 150K base, you can give that person, well, I'm going to, and it just escalates. And it's a slippery slope. There's never an integrity conversation. We say, you're not ready for that. Mm. You know, or or, or recruiting people that aren't like that. You know, I never had the the ability to go hire the best salespeople. Looking somebody in the eye and saying, you're not ready for that. Yeah. And and here's why. (laughs) Right. And I'm going to make you better. And when you do get the promotion, you'll actually be prepared for the promotion. I mean, look, you know, CRO turnover is, it's going to be even lower now. It was going from 18 to 14 months before um, this last year. And it's raining CROs right now. 
it's raining. They're everywhere. They're just dropping like flies because of this this <laughs> right. this vortex. Right. So I think that vortex explains bad quota setting, uh, bad hiring, bad promising, low integrity, self-esteem 101 gaps, which mm-hmm. is I don't believe in myself. I'm scared. Therefore, I will tell you whatever the fuck you want to hear mm-hmm. to get you not to leave or to take that job. And those people, as you will, when we talk out of the out of the when we're out of the tent, you say that just doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Those people don't stay. Mm-hmm. The people that stay are you're a little bit more methodical in hiring them. I like people that work jobs through college. I like people that um, I had one guy I, I talk about. His name is Brian Dell. Maybe you'll have him on someday. He's one of the best operators on the planet. People are like, oh, how do you know what attracted you to Brian Dell? Well, he's Sicilian. He's got this. Forget about you it. Know I mean, he, he grew up in a boiler room <laughs> nice. in Jersey. Nice. And he's like now a triple black belt. Bendick bent back to Japan. So could think strategically, very thoughtful, disciplined, hardcore, but also thick skinned and grew up with adversity and grew up with a cultural ability and even in his heritage of being direct but also being thoughtful. I don't need anybody coming to work for me, yelling at people and spitting fear and uncertainty down on people. It, it, it worked for certain companies for a little bit of time. But if you really study the math, um, those, those cultures never win long haul. Mm-hmm. And so finding people like that. And then when you lay out for those people, hey, here's the way you go up. Mm-hmm. Here's what I'm going to train you on. Here's going to I'm going to teach you how to delegate. We're going to read books together. And as you get more resources, uh, so we had LDP classes at one point where we would have Dr. Lutais and Dr. Pat Latore. So we would have people really go, holy shit. We'd have a 360 degree uh, survey of yourself. You ever, ever had mm-hmm. that? Yeah. So go to all your, go to all your direct reports of a smattering of your peers, a couple other people, and just let them just tell you how big of a fucking idiot you are. <laughs> and it's, Fires chair, right? So my, yeah. my boss at the time um, just called shit. it getting your PhD and you're an idiot. And um but it's the most humbling uh, ego EQ techno- tool you can do to just, you know, really understand how to throttle up and down your personality, mm-hmm. how we get people to follow us that aren't wired like us. Mm-hmm. And as you get into bigger companies where you have to influence, um, you know, some people will just say, oh, that's bullshit. You know, I don't need that. Uh, I should just hit my number in sales. Right. That's the common thing I would hear. Um, oh, this is this is a political environment, right? You you, you can't just say the product sucks. Um, you know, I don't have enough leads. Enough leads. Market. That's right. common, right? The, yeah. the CMO, you know, the CMO is saying, "Hey, the sales guys are lazy. They don't work." And this, we always say the leads suck, and and no one's ever, you know, wanting to fix it and be empathetic, and and so I think those tools, the, the from beginning to end, founder to larger scale, the same rules apply. Just different ways to do it and different levels of investment to just say, hey, look, I want my people to know they're getting better. I want to hire people on integrity. I want long term. I want you to be with me forever. That would be one of my visualizations. Like, I'm here forever. Mm-hmm. How long are you going to be here for? Forever. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're going to have to dynamite me out of the walls, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to be here. So culturally, don't try to, you know, not buy in. And that required you to be a servant leader and required you to be a great listener, which is not always the case when you're younger. Um, And then, you know, you'll find that that'll be a big reason why people follow you through change. Yeah. Changing companies, changing divisions, getting promoted, delegating, you know, having a successing succession plan um, behind you that those things that are all so important require this kind of 
thin connection of um, integrity. Talk about, this is a really interesting point. You said firing people up that aren't like you. Yeah. Talk, go deeper on that one. Unpack that. Well, along the lines, one of the other things you'll hear a lot is um, people in their career wanting, this one that's always bothered me, and I've written, I've written multiple posts on it, like the, um, you know, I, I, I need to own everybody. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things I was always thinking about that, you know, people go, oh, you know, my career sucks. I'm 35. I only own 40 people. I get this all the time. Ugh. You know, people want to be black belts, but yet they're a green belt in their training and in their technology. And this last two years has accelerated that from what we talked about earlier. Um, there's a there's an immediacy gene in the in the culture in the lately. I'm like, I need to be a black belt tomorrow. Well, that's, but you're not. Black belts mm-hmm. take time. And so um, so really um, developing people for the long haul, understanding where you're at in that journey is, is so important. And, um, and I think finding the right people that want to listen to that and know and can have ability to vision themselves at that scale um, is, is super important. So this is going to be, this is actually a genius set of, of questions. If I do say my soul myself, yes. I just thought, I just thought of them. It. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. this is just going to be fucking phenomenal. Right. Um, I'm going to give you, a couple of sentences for each category. And I want you to describe what the competency level is of uh, leadership levels and, and you know, what, what pertains to them and what they need to know from director of sales, yeah. VP of sales, and yeah. CRO, right? I want Perfect. to distinguish what the difference is between a title and what actually you need to be able yeah. to do from a skill set perspective. So founders everywhere know that just because a person had a job at a sales company that they shouldn't be a director of sales. What are the hard skills? What are the soft skills associated? How good of questions are those? Great. <laughs> those are great questions. Well, it, yeah, look, and I'll tie back into what we were just talking about. So if I'm a rep, mm-hmm. if I'm an account manager, uh, I want utilitarian, pleasure and pain. Mm-hmm. Knows how to get out of, you know, can use medic. The best thing in medic is testing champions. Mm-hmm. It really is. It's like, hey, is there pain here? Pain, pain, pain. Mm-hmm. And good ones know how to get out. Mm-hmm. Now, as you get multi-product, you get more strategic. You got to watch that because a lot of those customers will want you to be a little bit more empathetic. You got to be a little better influencer. You're bringing in other salespeople. That's a different different size. Mm-hmm. But at start, you know, we, we look for um, really highly utilitarian, we call meat-eating junkyard dogs. Mm-hmm. They know they know fight or flight and they get out really fast. Mm-hmm. And for a single product, um, earlier stage, this is a great attribute. Now think about it. So now what do we do typically? We, we, we take that guy, and I can name one because I had one, and he's the number one guy at CA for seven years. His name's Stu Parker in Provo, Utah. And we'll go, well, Stu needs a career pass. So what do we do? We give Stu 10 people. Right. It's the biggest fucking mistake in sales management because it's a career path problem. We don't know what to do with really talented individual contributors who want recognition as being a senior person on the team. But we don't know what else to do but to give them 10 people to babysit. Mm -hmm. And they don't want anything to do with it. They have low EQ. They have low empathy, low self-control, low Mm self-awareness. We don't want them to necessarily need those skills. And yet we give them 10 people. So I want to start seeing 10 people. When I'm going from rep to manager, I like to think about somebody who gets as much excitement or more watching seven out of 10 of their teammates make club than they did themselves when they were a rep. Whoa. Okay. 
So there, this is the guy who may not even go to club, whose commissions are going to go down because he's now, you know, I give, I give this quote all the time for my, when I'm taking over a new sales team, what's the difference between 0.000001 and 12%? And I, I don't know. Well, that's your fucking commission rate and that's mine. Mm-hmm. So if you expect me to come in and close your deals for you all over the world, mm-hmm. um, it doesn't work that way. The risk reward is set up so I can come in and play a role, kiss babies, give the corporate, you know, give my wisdom and knowledge, but the the different roles are wired differently for different behaviors. And so that manager now, it happens all the time where that manager looks at their commission check when done incorrectly. Um, They're pissed at the team. They just closed all their deals for them. Mm -hmm. Like what are those fucking people doing all day? Mm -hmm. You know, I did the work. Mm -hmm. They get their check. It's less. Mm -hmm. They can't utilitarian people are not long-term visionary people. So I don't see themselves being CRO someday. Mm-hmm. They, all they see is the past is I used to make 12%. Now I'm making maybe four and they're pissed and they're working harder and, and they're cleaning up expense reports or rolling out quotas. And I don't want to do any of that shit. You know, mm-hmm. I'm going to go sell. Mm-hmm. So I like, you know, you still want a blend of that frontline manager of being in front of customers so they can coach appropriately. Mm-hmm. But you are a coach now. Mm-hmm. You are only successful if you get seven out of 10. Mm-hmm. Right, participation rate is the number one metric, I believe, in sales management. No matter all the cool new cloud SaaS metrics, if if you're really being serious about it, participation or how many people hit 100 percent of any size rules the roost. Mm-hmm. And you can't be a tyrant. You can't yell at your people. You can't roll out territories shitty. You can't not develop. You can't be a good coach. You mm-hmm. got to be a good coach to be mm-hmm. a good frontline manager. And that's this blend of watching those people go to club knowing that you made a little bit less, not, you know, significantly less, but go, man, I'm good. And I was that guy. Mm-hmm. So my first deal was to Avnet as my account manager. I worked over a year on it, maybe a year plus, closed it. I got promoted when we closed it. So I didn't get the big payout. I got the manager payout. Didn't bother me a whole bunch because mm-hmm. uh, it was still a really nice payday, but they gave me my first team. And I was like, I fucking love having a team mm-hmm. i just knew it yeah it just it i knew it you. like this is it for me and i was okay if, you know if i didn't make you know 800 grand on that deal i wanted to develop these people i wanted to do the qbr do the weekly sessions i wanted to coach them and see how they did in front of customers and make sure they were training i really you know i got better at it but um and then and then second line is when you start becoming presidential vp Yes. There's different titles for it, different size companies. But I think if you want to use the term VP, you got to start being the guy that goes to the happy hour and then goes home. You watch your language a little bit more. You take the company's side a little bit more. Mm. You're you're president. I call it kind of. It's not about, you know, making sure that all you're just protecting your team. Correct. You're protecting shareholder value. You need to say, yeah, all the company sucks. They just changed the commission plan. Yeah. We can get better at it, but let me tell you why. Mm-hmm. And so when they moved me to New York um, for CA, that was part of the journey was we're going to pluck you out of the field and we're going to bring you to corporate. It was an IBM like move and bring you back to the field. And the, and the, one of the earth shattering uh, learnings was, holy cow, the gap between headquarters and the field is significant. Mm-hmm. There really was this feeling in sales. They're all thieves and he heathens. And we were all, they're they trying to screw us. And, right. You know? And so, part of my journey was to bridge that gap. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things we start telling VPs. I want to start looking for more EQ. 
I want to start. You still got to be an operator. You still have to have credibility because the media eating junk care of dogs, they'll sniff you out. Mm-hmm. If you're in corporate too long, you do yeah. become one of they don't them. Listen. Yeah. You know, there's John Hunter. Mm-hmm. He's, he's sold out. He's a suit. So you got to get a suit. So you got to come back and have credibility. Um, and um, and one, one of the things, one of the books, one of the uh, concepts in a book I'll share with you is, is Maxwell's five levels of leadership. It just stood out to me in the whole, I need to own everything. And how do we think about these levels? And if you look, if you read Maxwell, the lowest level of leadership is functional. David follows John because he has to. Mm-hmm. He's my fucking boss. Mm-hmm. Right. All of a sudden it goes up and like three is like, hey, I follow John because he makes me a shitload of money. Mm-hmm. And then you have this level five. John makes me a better person. Mm-hmm. So you start seeing these levels at VP or even CRO when they do. And I always test them. Like if you did an all hands call, all hands, mm-hmm. who shows up? Mm-hmm. Do engineers show up? Does finance show up? Does product marketing show up? Because now they're saying, you know, yeah, of course your people are going to show up. They work, they work for you. You have power. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times these, these companies, we don't train people on what power means and their influence because then they can't be self-aware that maybe they have a blind spot. So if VP to CRO is where you're starting to see it's, it's, it's chestnut checkers. Mm-hmm. And there's just a lot of CROs who were really good in, in sales operations, really good in, you know, rolling out clarity and real, really good at, at um, you know, the tactical and then get stuck in the EQ. They get stuck in the influence. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got to spend time with your CMO. You got to be with your your chief marketing officer, your product officer all the time. Mm-hmm. And the key thing to build that. Yeah, you're cross disciplinary. Well, and here's the deal. If we're going to need to change and I'm a change agent and I'm down in Europe or I'm in the East Coast, United States, somebody's going to get rattled. It's just going to happen. Someone's going to holy shit. Did you hear what John Hunter said? Mm-hmm. And what you need in a great culture like that, your CRO's peers are saying, oh, no, no, it's okay. Here's why he's saying that we're mm-hmm. all on the same page. We've gone through his operating plan. We know what his point of view is on customer retention and, and sales productivity. And you know, you're not doing it in a vacuum. You share the plan. I write about it all the time. You share the operating plan. You co-author it mm-hmm. with other stakeholders. So they feel like your success is as much their success as it is yours. Mm-hmm. And you have all these people rooting for you. And uh, it's just been so hit and miss for me to see that VP. So now you're going from good coach to functional, you know, multi-level leader, presidential. Interdisciplinary. Not using the F word like I am right now, but, you know, being a little bit more judicious with it and going going to happy hour, going home. Um, And then you're going to CRO where you're really starting to say, hey, look, I want us all to go down this journey together blended with a bold, confident personality mm-hmm. that suggests at the end of the day, no matter what we all want to think, the CRO is going to get the heat and get the accountability yeah. more than anybody. They're going to get fired. Right or They're wrong. the first one. And if you don't like that, you should just go do something else. Because that is one of the other <laughs> things I hear about all the time. They're like, Hunter, aren't you pissed? You know, shouldn't we be more pissed? Shouldn't we do something about it? I'm like, look, it's like playing cornerback. In the NFL, you're going to be on an island. Mm-hmm. Some days you're going to get beat. Fuck it. You know, th- you know, don't be the guy that throws his helmet and says, well, it ain't my fault. Right. You know, it, it does require this kind of uh, this attitude. I am responsible for my life. I signed up for this gig. You signed up for it. Um, you know, and you do the best you can. You try to bring as many people with you. But when a push comes to shove, you got to take the leadership role and making a decision going for it. And hopefully it works out. But if it doesn't, 
you know, you're in that cornerback type role where you just got to lick your wounds, learn from it and get back on the horse and do mm-hmm. another one. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so funny. I was talking to a guy the other day and, you know, he was just a company guy, you know, went from sales to kind of, you know, principal account management and, you know, didn't have a lot of nice things to say about his company. And he said, you know, they're making me chief revenue officer. And I was like, that's great because if you don't want to be there, you're going to be gone probably in 18 months anyway. That's great. <laughs> right? Look at the company's already dysfunctional. Yeah. I mean, you're just immediately the first person in the sites, right? Well, let me tell you about that. So when I was, at, so I had this mentor, the guy who moved me to New York was, it was, it was remember now, CA's is, is founder-based culture, eat what you kill. And the IBMers took over and they were, you know, so the leadership development, the Dr. Tice, everyone's like, what the fuck is this about? It makes no mm-hmm. sense to us. Mm-hmm. But I was open-minded to it. Um, so they moved me to New York, which no one understood at all. And I got the shit beat out of me for two years. And then I was all proud. So that guy had left and um, he went to Infor, another big company. I remember I got promoted to run North America a couple of years later. I was so proud. And I called him up. And I said, hey, Greg, I said, you know, they promoted me. He said, well, I wouldn't have done it. Mm-hmm. I said, what are you talking about? He said, I would have rotated you again. And I was so bummed. You know, my ego was like, fuck, you know, you can't win with this guy. Mm-hmm. But what he was doing for me from the New York move and what I've tried to do with others, he was trying to really set me up for success for the long haul. Mm-hmm. This, this, this immediate gene for power and for career success can be at the detriment for your career and your success. You just want too much, too quick to satisfy something in your ear or some v- feeling. And I'm just blessed to have people like that and others who are like, um, no, you know, you're, 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 you're a blue belt. You know, you need another year. Mm-hmm. You need, and so when you do go up, and it doesn't, you're it, ready. Doesn't, it doesn't guarantee that you're not still going to, you know, you're, we're in a very high risk, high reward business. But I do think right now through this last iteration, we had a lot of folks in there like that, um, who just went home, celebrated with their spouse, saying, I'm fucking CRO, you know, and, and they weren't ready for it. And the systems weren't there and the influencing and the plan and the scale. And you say to yourself, oh, in hindsight, you know, having four of those on there may not be the best thing. So how long from a career perspective, assuming you do everything right, should it take a person to go from director to VP to like a C-level executive? Again, I, I think it's it's a hard one to put a number on it because I think it really depends on the individual's um, open mindedness and empathy. Do it perfectly to 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 learn. So I'll, I'll give you an example for me. So I was at CA. I was I was I was there eighteen years. So I'm, I'm in this big ELT position. I remember uh, someone, some rep, and we were in town hall. Said, you know, how did you make it to the top so fast? And it caught me off guard. My first ego was like, well, let me tell you about. Oh, you mm-hmm. know. And then I was like fast i've been here fucking 18 years <laughs> i've been in the coal mines how is this fast all my peers here you know all the golfers here all the yeah. real estate guys in arizona are like what's hunter doing i was in oklahoma i didn't yeah. get paid commissions i just wrote i wrote a post on it where i showed that squiggly line career slide mm-hmm. and there's other what you think it is right. and so you know and then I, you know, I compared myself to the guy who went to the startup and he made more money than me than change companies, more money than me. And I was kind of more the turtle in the hair. And there I was. Oh, interesting. Okay. So I was just, so I do think you can keep an eye on your intellectual growth and are you getting more? Are you taking on more responsibility? And mm-hmm. are you being successful with it? Mm-hmm. And as this woman, uh, executive friend of mine told me in your career, you should segment your career into to learn, earn, and return. Mm-hmm. And if you focus on learning, 
you'll become a subject matter expert. Mm-hmm. Fucking, you know, have some vision of yourself at 25, seeing yourself at 34, 30, 10 years of doing additional responsibility, not massively. You can do massive leaps and get yourself out of your comfort zone. That's that's good, but you should have some structure around you. Help risk you. associated with that, and too. you should have a mentor. Yeah. I mean, can, can we in this conversation? Can, you know, can, like the guy I had who would punch me in the face, but he wouldn't. He wasn't going to fire me. Mm-hmm. He would punch me in the face. Hey, you got to do this better, that better. But you could tell he wanted to develop me. So I think when you have that mentorship, you have that air cover, and you could be looking for incremental growth. You know, you're going home and I go on. My WT wasn't great. I learned a shitload, mm-hmm. um, even from the founder example we had earlier where, hey, my founder spent time with me to make me learn one thing new I didn't learn mm-hmm. or had an advisor join the advisory board. That's a good rule for advisors, I believe. Mm-hmm. They say, can you spend an hour with our CRO or a VP? It's something I do quite often right now mm-hmm. where uh, the local example I gave you, that guy is now a, a coaching uh, client and we, everything from how to say no how to get the calendar right, mm-hmm. how to the importance of bringing other people with you, building the operating plan, mm-hmm. um, how to get to higher level personas and enterprise customers, you know, knowledge, wisdom, knowledge, wisdom, learn, learn, return. And before you know it, you'll, you'll kind of see it, you know, you're in the urn. And if you could get in that urn in the right 10 year, you know, motion, you know, you can make a gazillion dollars, but you're doing it the right way. Mm-hmm. And I think of today, a lot of people will look at things like, that's, this is too long. Mm-hmm. I need it. You know, to your point earlier, we had this VP of Microfocus, uh, maybe a BMC, I can't remember. But I remember we just promoted this guy. We moved him. And I was in town. This quite happened. You do a skip level. And the VP had been six months in the new region. And they said, you know, uh, he wants to meet with you. And I said, well, four. Well, he wants to know what's next. <laughs> it was six months in the rotation for the, the role. He just, and he was, uh, he was vocal about it. He was just bored mm-hmm. and wanted, you know, so the tone just didn't get set right. Or we had the wrong mental um, mindset of seeing yourself. And, uh, and let me just touch on one thing here. Cause this, this is one thing I talk about that really made the difference for me. Um, they brought in a coaching, they brought in a coach to see in the early years. I was a super sales manager. My numbers were really, really good. But David, I was hard on people in a way I didn't see. And they brought this coach in and he saw my calendar and he saw my life. And he said, hey, this is a good career. Congratulations. You're going to be a super sales manager, right? That's what you want to be. And I looked at him. I knew I was getting set up. He was saying it. (laughs) And I said, well, well, wait a minute. What do you mean by that? He said, well, he goes, you, you, you couldn't possibly take on more. I coach on this one a lot. Like if you're swamped, if your calendar is fucking full, if you're late to everything, why would anybody give you more? Mm. And I do get a lot of founder CEOs eyes days on this one. And there I was. And I went and looked at my EA at the time was a really nice person, more talkative than me. My meetings were all late. The numbers were, were a mess. We're not great. And I really, it was at that point when I met him, I said, I'm going to be a CRO. It's going to take time. But I intellectually understood how to hire people. So I, I changed EAs. I had changed ops people. I got better people better than me. I got the summary level data in front of me. And I freed myself up to work on strategic things to get out of the tactical, but still made sure the tactical was happening. That to me was the game changer intellectually. Can I find executives who get that point 
at 28 and now willing to go learn like I did, go read the books, spend time with this guy, Jim. And I, it was then I just knew I had the vision. I saw it, you know, it took, uh, you know, I can't remember the number of years, but I, th I think intellectual grasping scale uh, early on is a good thing to look for. Mm -hmm. Awesome. John, where can people find you? Well, um, my podcast, which I just took a little break on, HunterXLife.com is a great place. You can contact me there. You can talk, contact me on LinkedIn. Um, that is where I find my coaching clients or consulting or board work if mm -hmm. they want to uh, listen to that. And I'm going to be doing some new material here soon. But uh, yeah, HunterXLife.com. Um, and um, yeah, I'm still excited about what's going on in the market. It's, it's fun to to, to talk, have this conversation with operators real time. That's for about 10 of my to 10 of my clients are in this world today and they, they, they like this topic. You have 10 clients. God, you are busy. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, you know, it's not as busy as running $3 billion in <laughs> revenue. And I traveled 400,000 miles in 2019. Yeah. So, uh, and then I thought zoom and, you know, we'll and you could do you it while you're that. walking your dog by my house. Yeah, I do yeah. a lot of, a lot of travel. I could do it anywhere. Yeah. I was out of the country last week. So yeah. HunterXLife.com. Reach out to me on LinkedIn. If anyone else wants Help, wisdom, knowledge, um, uh, ideas. I'd love to, love to help. Awesome. And a couple of canned questions for you. What's your favorite book? Um, that, you know, Eckhart Tolle's The Power of Now. Uh, I've read it seven times. Um, anytime I'm in a, a bit of a phonetic state, I'll go on when I'm walking by your house, you'll mm -hmm. see me on. I'm probably simply re-listening because I like his voice mm -hmm. on, on the book. And, um, and it just, I'm, I'm getting something more out of it every time I read it. Best leadership book you've ever read? Uh, by Maxwell's or Leadership on the Line. Another plug, Leadership on the Line. It talks about pushing the line in leadership. Mm -hmm. If you go over, you're dead. If you don't get close to it, you're going to be dead. Yeah. So it's got this really powerful. Staying on the edge. You got to be on the edge. And it gives yeah. you techniques on how to remain on that edge. I like that. I like that. What's the best piece of business advice you've ever gotten? Stay in front of the customer, you know, Charles Wong day one, you know, when you get that spidey sense that you've been talking to each other too much, you probably have been mm -hmm. get in front of the customer. I always tell my guys, my men and women, if you get confused, if you get scared, you'll find peace in front of your customers mm -hmm. and be actively listening to them, knowing that you're going to go, you're going to be with them for the long haul, stay in front of your customers and, and, and watch being in, too internal. There you have it, folks. Decades of being in the software industry, sometimes it pays to listen to the gray hairs, or in this case, the no hairs. That's right. Right. That's right. Uh, everybody, thank you so much for joining us. We drop an episode every Tuesday on all your favorite platforms, Apple, YouTube, and Spotify. We just try to get a little bit better. We listen, we look for edges. We try to find nuggets to help us improve either in founding companies, operating companies, or investing in companies. If you like it, please tell a friend, leave a review, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to the Capital Stack Podcast. Make sure to share this with someone you know that can benefit from this content. Remember to support this show by rating, reviewing, and subscribing. David Paul is the founder and general partner at DWP Capital. All opinions expressed by David and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of DWP Capital. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for decisions. David and guests may maintain positions in the securities discussed on this podcast.